Well, have you ever received an invitation to something that you weren't sure you wanted to go to? <laughs> Maybe it was an invitation to something that didn't sound like a whole lot of fun. The wedding of an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Your neighbor's daughter's preschool dance recital <laughs> on a fall Saturday afternoon. Maybe it was an invitation to something you didn't really understand like the grand opening of a new church. I mean, what's that all about? Grand opening of a grocery store, you can understand, but a church? Or maybe it was an invitation to something that had the potential to rearrange your life, like working for a new company or accepting someone's marriage proposal. We began our series back in September with the idea that it's nice to be invited to be invited is to be valued, it's to be included. It's an opportunity to, to participate in something new or big or exciting, and, and that feels great. But it's also true that every invitation demands a response. In fact, it's often printed in bold capital letters at the bottom of the invite, RSVP. Respond, please. Now, it seems like a simple request, but you know that responding to that invitation will determine how you spend a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning or maybe the rest of your life. I discovered that there are entire websites devoted to RSVPing. How to say yes, how to say no, how to say no without sounding like you're saying no. <laughs> You've all done that. One of them offered a nine-step process for RSVPing. I mean, who knew it could be so complicated? But every invitation demands a response. And for five weeks now, we've been considering what we're calling the divine invitation. The invitation to join hands with God as he saves, heals, and restores this world. It's an invitation to go and be with Jesus as we make our way through this thing called life. And if you should just be catching up with us today because you're a guest perhaps at our Foxborough Grand Opening or on any one of our campuses or online, we're glad you're here. In fact, we'd like to, I'm going to ask all of our campuses if we'll send a greeting to the folks gathered in Foxborough today. So all our campuses, can we put our hands together? Way to go. So I hope when you heard that in Foxborough, and we're going to ask you to do the same thing. Okay, you folks in Foxborough, I want you to put your hands together and send a greeting so loud they can hear it all the way in Amherst, New Hampshire. Okay? We're listening. All right. Sounds good. We're glad. We're happy for all of you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we're just glad you're with us today. And we want to extend to you this divine invitation to discover life with God for the good of the world. And we've been talking about it for weeks now, but today we're going to call the question. Actually, Jesus is going to call the question. Today, Jesus is going to look his disciples in the eye and ask them to RSVP. Are you with me or not? Are you coming or not? And he's going to ask the same question of us. 
So let's catch, let's catch up with Jesus and the 12. We'll be in the Gospel of Matthew today, chapter 16, looking at verses 13 through 19. And we'll just kind of walk our way through this conversation Jesus has with the 12. Now, before we read, let me just set the scene a little bit here. For several months now, Jesus has been investing in these 12 individuals. He's invited them to follow him around to listen to him teach, to watch him work. He's even sent them out on a training exercise, village to village, where they could try their hand at doing some good. But now we're coming to a turning point after many, many months in Jesus' journey with the 12. It's time to call the question. So we'll begin reading Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, there's some interesting things going on here that are worth pointing out. Notice that Jesus has very intentionally slowed down the pace. And he's, he's drawn the disciples away from the mainstream of everyday life. Look at where Caesarea Philippi is on a map. You can see that it is way up north. Uh, on, on, it's on the far reaches, the actual border of Gentile territory. It was actually a 25-mile hike Jesus and the 12 made to get to Caesarea Philippi. It's not only an out-of-the-way place, it's a place that is rich with spiritual overtones. For one thing, it's a, an area that was dedicated to, to the worship of the Greek god Pan, in fact, there's an ancient worship site still visible where it appears that people gathered to worship this god. The city itself was named for the emperor gods of Rome, Caesarea Philippi. And just to the north, visible probably from where they were having this conversation, stood Mount Hermon, probably snow-covered a mountain that was often referred to in the Psalms as a source of inspiration for God's people. So this is a place rich in spiritual significance. It's a, it's a crossroads of religious beliefs. And so here in this sacred space, in this set-apart time, Jesus poses a question to the 12. Who do people say I am? That was a very reasonable question to ask because everybody was talking about Jesus at this point. And some were saying that he was, in fact, John the Baptist come back from the dead to avenge his death at the hands of Herod. Others saw Jesus as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that Elijah or one of the other prophets would come back before the end of the age. So it was all a very interesting conversation, and chances are it went on for a little while as the disciples named and discussed these various theories about Jesus. But that really wasn't the question Jesus was after. The whole thing was kind of a setup. And so at a certain point, he looks them in the eye and he asks them the real question. The question he marched them 25 miles to this sacred spot to ask. Pick it up at verse 15. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? 
See, Jesus wasn't really interested in what everybody else thought. He knew what everybody else thought. He wanted to know what they thought, what they believed, what they were prepared to say out loud in front of him and their friends. Now, there had to be a pregnant pause. I picture the disciples looking down at their sandals all of a sudden. <laughs> like a bunch of school kids when the teacher asks someone to share their homework. There's always one kid who wants to volunteer, right? Either because they're the teacher's pet or because they just can't keep quiet. And in this case, it happens to be Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this was a remarkable response. I mean, we think it was obvious. How could they not have thought that after all that Jesus had said and done? But the truth is, it wasn't obvious. In fact, up until this time, Jesus has never once said that he was the Messiah. In fact, he's often seemed to stifle those kinds of conversations. And the things he was doing, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, as wonderful as they were, they weren't the kinds of things that first century Jews were looking for in their Messiah. He still hadn't challenged Rome's authority. He hadn't started gathering himself an army. He hadn't even allied himself with Israel's leaders. And so there, it wasn't as obvious as we think it was. But, but Peter got it right. Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. The one God had promised to send many, many centuries earlier. The one who would, who would turn Israel back to God. The one who would set them free from their oppressors. The one who would make them a great nation once again. They'd been waiting hundreds of years for this leader. But Simon not only got the Messiah part right, he got something else right. Something even more surprising. He recognized that Jesus had a special relationship with Yahweh, the God of Israel. That, that Jesus was one with God. The way a son is one with a father made of the same stuff, an extension of his presence and influence in the world. This, this was an even more remarkable response because no one had seen this coming. And so that day, after many months of following and listening and learning and stumbling about, Peter and the 12 finally got it right. Jesus was God in the flesh, come down to save them and the world. And look how Jesus responded. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. What a great moment this must have been for for Simon and for Jesus. We're never told in the scriptures that Jesus smiled. But I've got to believe Jesus smiled in this moment. That he smiled the way a parent smiles at a kid's graduation. Or the way a groom smiles when he looks down the aisle and sees his bride coming. I think he might have smiled the way Coach Belichick smiles when his team wins a Super Bowl. Now, you don't see that very often, do you? 
But fans and players love it when Coach Belichick smiles. This had to be that kind of a moment. Finally, after all these months, someone had gotten it right and had the faith and courage to say it out loud. And Jesus is asking the same question of us today. Who do people say I am? Now, we know what people say about Jesus, that he's a great teacher, that he's a great prophet, that he was a spiritual guy, that he was a revolutionary, that he was a cynic, that he was a, a, a legend. Some would say that he's a myth. According to one poll, about 90% of Americans believe that Jesus of Nazareth really existed. 90% believe that he really existed. About half believe that he was in some way divine. Yeah, God. That's all very interesting. But what about you, Jesus says? Who do you say I am? It's the most important question you will ever answer. Who do you say he is? Because how you answer that question will determine how you live and who you become in this life and in the life to come. Now, many of you listening today have already answered that question. Along the same lines as Peter, you have, you have come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. That, that he was and is God, come near to us to save you, to save the world from sin and death. In fact, a few of you are going to testify publicly to that belief today by being baptized. We have about 15 or 16 folks being baptized today across many of our campuses. And since we're not all going to get to hear all of their stories, let me read just one of them so you get a sense of what some of these folks are saying by their baptism. A teenager from Wilmington writes, I have been going to church and Sunday school since I was born. My family is a family of believers, and I've been raised to believe in Jesus. However, I was a Christian in my own way. I believed in science a lot more than I believed in the Bible. And my Christianity was more about duty and doing what my parents wanted than about a personal relationship with Jesus. This past summer, I went to Camp Berea for a week, and there I made a decision to follow Christ, a decision that was my own, that was real and true, a decision to have faith. Now I continue to be a part of the church and youth group, but my faith is stronger, and the things that I'm learning make more sense. I want to continue to grow closer to God and be part of his kingdom. I'm being baptized today as a public declaration that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe in him and his power to save. But like, amen, like Simon Peter and the 12, this young man spent time learning, listening, wondering about Jesus, listening to what other people said about Jesus, what his parents said, what his, his, his leaders at church said about Jesus, what science said about Jesus. But at a certain point, he had to decide for himself what he believed about Jesus. 
And that's when he decided not only to follow Christ, but to trust Christ. To trust Christ, to, to forgive him for his sins and failures, and to lead him in a new and better way of living. And that's what all the folks being baptized today are going to be saying. And I can assure you that Jesus is smiling on those folks as they get baptized today. Now, chances are many of some of us are not quite ready to make that decision today. You're curious about Jesus. You've learned a few things about Jesus, but you're not ready to, to say yes to that invitation yet. That's okay. It's a big decision. And so we invite you just to take your time. Keep on coming. Keep on listening. Keep on learning. Join us on Sundays. If you'd like to, to join some other folks who are thinking about these things, we have something called the Alpha Course, where folks get together around tables and share a meal and just talk together about the message of Jesus. And Alpha is happening on all of our campuses, or many of our campuses, this fall. But as, as dramatic and climactic as this moment was, the invitation isn't over yet. In fact, it's going to get even more dramatic and more climactic. Let's keep reading, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the Hades will not overcome it. Now, there's a lot here we could talk about, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but let me call your attention to a few things. First, don't miss this. Jesus looked at Simon, and he saw Peter. He looked at Simon and saw a brash, impulsive fisherman. But he saw Peter, a rock-solid faith leader. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees you not just for who you are, but for who you can become in him. It's powerful. You are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now, I really hate to point this out in front of Pastor Dave because it's only going to encourage him, but Jesus is making a pun here. This is a play on words, Petros and Petra. Now, there's a lot we could debate about this verse. In fact, it's not a stretch to say that wars have been fought and churches have been divided over the interpretation of this verse. To simplify it, in my humble opinion, it boils down to a simple caution that we not read too much and not read too little into this one verse. Some have read this verse and concluded that, that Peter himself was the rock, that Jesus was conferring special authority on him to lead the church, authority that would be handed down to successive generations of his successors. Now, my feeling is that that reads too much into this text. While I, I do believe that Pat Peter is the rock Jesus is referring to, I don't see Jesus conferring special authority on or status on Peter. I mean, that would run contrary to everything Jesus has taught to this point about servant leadership. And, and there's really nothing in the text to say anything about successors. 
Others have argued that the rock here is Peter's confession. You are the Christ. And that Jesus is promising to build his church on that confession of faith, not on a human personality. Now, my feeling is that this reads too little into the verse. I think Peter was the rock Jesus was referring to. That was the point of the play on words. I think he was simply saying that that Peter was going to play a founding, formative, dynamic role in the founding of the church, which we know he did from the book of Acts. In fact, I think Jesus' whole point here is that he is going to build his church through human personalities, through fishermen turned spiritual leaders, through people like Peter and the gang gathered around him. That's the whole point. In fact, that's that's where he goes in the following verses. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now that word you that Jesus uses here, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. It's the plural form of you. I will give you. I will give you guys. I will give you guys. I will give you all. (laughs) I'll give all of you the keys to the kingdom. Now again, let's not read too much or too little into this verse. Jesus is certainly not giving to those 12 disciples the authority to decide who gets into heaven or not. That's God's decision to make. But let's not miss the fact that he is saying to them, you guys are in charge. Here are the keys. I'm leaving. I'm putting my mission, I'm putting my people in your hands. Hang with me for another minute or two and we'll pull all this together. Typically, when we come to this verse, we get so hung up on the rock conversation, we miss some of the other important words used here, like the word church. On this rock, I will build my church. It's the first time Jesus uses that word and one of the few times he uses that word. Now, we hear that word church and we think of a building. We think of a stone cathedral. We think of a white clapboard New England structure. We think of a, a city storefront. We think of a former catering hall on Route 93. Something like that. We think of a place. But the word Jesus uses here is the Greek word ekklesia. And ekklesia was not a religious word at all. It was a word that described an assembly of people gathered for a purpose. An assembly of people called together for a purpose. It was a secular word. It was used to describe an army coming together to parade or to fight. It was used to describe citizens coming together for a town meeting to make a decision or address some threat. In other words, an ecclesia was a movement, not an institution. It was a people, not a place. That day, Jesus announced that he was starting a movement. A grassroots movement of ordinary people. Like those guys gathered around him in Caesarea Philippi that day. A movement of people through whom he would carry out his mission to save and heal and restore this world. And then he says, the gates of Hades will not overcoming. Now, Hades was the place of the dead. Jesus isn't really talking about hell here. He's talking about death. Death, our last and greatest enemy. Death, 
the thing we can't beat, death, the things that haunts us every day of our lives. Jesus says, nothing can stop this movement of mine, not even death. And before too long, he would prove it by dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. And 2,000 years of human history have shown his prediction to be true. Because in spite of many, many, many attempts to wipe out the church, the church is still here today. The church is still on the move. The largest, most diverse, most influential, formative movement in human history. And friends, don't miss this. Our presence here today Gathered across all of our campuses and locations, our, what we're doing here today, this very moment, is a fulfillment of what Jesus predicted 2,000 years ago. And all the more when you consider that a year or two ago, there was a church in Foxborough that looked like it wasn't going to make it. Like they were going to have to close their doors and sell off their property. But by the grace of God, today, we're celebrating the grand reopening of that church, of that gathering of people assembled for a purpose, part of the movement of God here in greater Boston and New England. And let's not forget a similar thing happened. In, um, let's celebrate that. A similar thing happened in Watertown just a couple of years ago. Let's not forget a church was about to close its doors and now it's thriving and going and growing in that community as well. I mean, how exciting is that? The very thing Jesus envisioned when he spoke these words and, and that sacred spot, those words, it's being fulfilled right here today in this moment and you and I are part of it. Friends, that's what this divine invitation is all about. We are invited to join the Jesus movement to join the Jesus movement. See, when you say yes to this divine invitation, you're not just saying yes to Jesus. You're saying yes to his church. His church. Notice he said, I will build my church. Jesus loves the church. That's why he calls us his bride. Jesus lives through the church. That's why he calls us his body. Now, I realize that the church and churches have not always gotten it right. The church at large has not always gotten it right. And at times has done harm to people, to society, and to the gospel. And local churches sometimes get it wrong. And it's possible that you have been hurt or disappointed by the church somewhere along the way. In fact, it might have compelled you to turn away from church for a while or to drift away for a while. And you're just now coming back considering the possibility of that. I understand that. And as a pastor, as, as, a, as a member of Christ's church, as a leader in Christ's church, 
I'm sorry if you have been hurt or disappointed somewhere along the way. I know that runs deep and is hard to overcome. But also understand this, that Jesus has not given up on his church. And we can't give up on it either. Sometimes it's, you hear people say, I love Jesus, just but not the church. Again, I understand the hurt and the disappointment behind that. But loving Jesus and not the church isn't really an option. As one blogger puts it, saying that you love Jesus but hate the church is like saying that you love your best friend but hate his wife. That relationship is not going to last. <laughs> the truth is, you need the church. Warts and all, you need it. And the church needs you, warts and all. We need you. Because that's how Jesus designed this thing. To be a movement of ordinary people. Of fishermen turned spiritual leaders. Who become part of his work in this world. And so, I want to affirm all of you in Foxborough in particular. That core group there. You have been working and praying and serving for many, many, many months to get to this day. You have certainly found your go, as we like to say around here, and I believe that Jesus is smiling on you. I also want to affirm the remnant of the Foxborough Bible Church who refused to let your church die. And I want to affirm those of you who showed up today for the grand opening of this thing and to give church another try. But I also want to affirm everyone, everywhere, listening to this message, whatever campus or location or wherever you are, I want to affirm you for believing that Jesus is still on the move in the world today and that we, his people, are carrying out his mission. Not just here at Grace Chapel, but gatherings and assemblies across our city and around the world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And 2,000 years later, Jesus is fulfilling that promise and you and I get to be part of it. How cool is that? Before we finish, I want to share one more story with you. Someone who's going to be baptized today in Lexington, actually. Their story, both of coming to faith in Jesus and also becoming part of his movement, the church. It's such a good story, I've invited him to tell it personally. So would you welcome Jimmy as he comes to the platform here uh, to share a little bit of his story. Go ahead, Jimmy. Do your thing. I was told to uh, use my bicep and use this when I use this microphone, so. <laughs> my name's Jimmy Ald. I've lived in Waltham, Massachusetts my entire life. My parents, Mary and Ray Ald, were my two biggest role models in my life. I was brought up in the church, and we attended church every Sunday. I always remember Sundays as a day we spent together as a family. 
church, donuts, the Sunday paper, believe it or not, watching the New York Giants because the Patriots really didn't exist back then. I'm sure that makes you happy. <laughs> it's the reason you're up here. <laughs> and they were my dad's favorite team. And a great afternoon Sunday dinner, usually in, including my grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. But I never, ever really remember ever having a conversation with my parents or anyone, for that matter, about my faith or what following Jesus Christ really meant. My parents were awesome people. They were great parents, very faithful. But it just wasn't something that was discussed, I guess, back then. It was just kind of an assumed belief in God. I've been married now for 40 years to my wife, Deborah. She's right over there. <clears throat> and I've always commented to people that my wife is really, she's a much better person than me. People think I'm joking around when I say that, but I'm actually very serious. We have five beautiful adult daughters, two of whom are I'm married, one's engaged, and two that are living their lives as they should be. I have three awesome granddaughters. They were a lot of fun. I love them to death. But having five daughters has definitely offered many challenges that, <laughs> that have tested our marriage and our faith. But you know, we're all still here. We're all still a family, so get through it. I've spent the last 37 years serving on the Waltham Police Department, the last 25 assigned to the detective division. Uh, I've got a, I got away from church for a long time and from God for quite a few years. I guess constantly dealing with the negative impacts of physical, sexual, mental abuse, crimes associated with addictions, horrific car accidents, senseless crimes committed upon children and the most vulnerable members of our society has probably caused me over the years to become very negative, cynical, and doubtful. In fact, my wife always calls me Mr. Negative, so. <laughs> and the fact that she's so optimistic can be annoying as well, but. <laughs> <laughs> Since uh, joining Grace Chapel, several years ago, I've seriously been inspired. I, I can't believe that I've actually gotten involved with Alpha, uh, this morning men's group that I've been going to, and I've actually, Deb and I have both been really honored to have been asked to assist in serving communion. I mean, if somebody had told me five years ago I would be doing this stuff, I would, I would have said, you're crazy, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it's just, um, I'm really appreciative to the incredible people I've met here at Grace Chapel who have really helped me to rediscover my faith and actually want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We have a saying at the Waltham Police Department, it's time to either put up or shut up. And I guess it's time for me to put up and accept that invitation that Pastor Brian just spoke about and acknowledge my love and commitment to Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Jimmy, I, I, I like that put up or shut up line. Cops can say stuff like that and preachers not so much, but um, you, you talked a little bit about, just one quick question, um, how for a lot of years, result of your work and things, it become negative, cynical, doubtful. How has your relationship with Christ changed that? How, how is life different for you now, would you say? Well, you know, my wife was the one who kept, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to church at all. I really had kind of like put my relationship with God and Jesus Christ like, like a friend I just forgot about, you know, and just um, I was so involved with, you know, I was working nights, four to midnight, midnight to eight. Um, you know, we'd bought a house, we had kids. It just seemed like there was a lot of things going on that were distracting me from it, but it's probably the time that I probably needed Jesus Christ in my life the most was the time that I was basically just forgetting about him. But, um, you know, she convinced me to start coming here a few years ago. And I would come once in a while. I wasn't coming every week. But, you know, I would come and I would listen to you and, and Pastor Dave and a lot of the other people. I've met Chris Guerrero and Priscilla. And I can't even tell you the people I've met, you know, uh, Judy and... A lot of people that, that have just like really inspired me to like want to become more involved. I'm like, they're not weirdos, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which I really kept telling Deb, I'm like, I'm not going there. It's, you know, I bet you it's kind of a bunch of crazies and stuff like that. But, you know, if, if, these, are, if these are the crazies, I want to be one, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, thank you, Jamie. I'll let you go, so thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jimmy. It was a great conversation. We could probably keep going, but... Well, we began today by reminding ourselves that every invitation demands a response. And I'm crazy enough to believe that Jesus may have led you here today to this time and place set apart, just like he led... Peter and the 12 away to that sacred spot in Caesarea Philippi to ask you a question. Who do you say that I am? And how you answer that question will determine not only how you live, but who you become now and forever. And some of you may be ready to say yes to that invitation. After weeks or months or years of listening and learning and following and wondering, you're ready to say, yes, I, I trust Christ to forgive me of my sins and failures and to begin leading me into a new and better life. You can make that decision today, the one Jimmy just described, by praying a simple prayer with me in just a moment or two. Many, I know, listening today have already made that decision. Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. But it could be you sense the Lord inviting you to take a next step on that journey. To say yes to being baptized if you never have been. Yes to joining a small group. Really beginning to experience the community of God's people. Yes to serving in the church somewhere. To help to build this movement that Jesus loves. Maybe you're saying yes to one of those things. Or it could be you're just not ready to RSVP yet. You're not ready to say yes to this whole Jesus thing. But you're not ready to say no either. That's okay. It's a big decision. It takes time.
And so we invite you to just keep on coming, keep on listening, keep on learning. Join us on Sundays, join an alpha group if that will help you. Understand that you don't have to believe to belong around here. It's okay. Just know this. One of these days, Jesus is going to look you in the eye, say, what about you? Who do you say I am? I don't want you to miss that invitation. Let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. And if you're feeling like you're ready to say yes to this invitation, you can silently pray a simple prayer in your heart along with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for inviting me to be part of your movement. Thank you for dying on the cross to forgive my sins. And rising from the dead so I can experience new and eternal life. Beginning today, I want to trust and follow you for the rest of my life. Lord, I pray for anyone who might have prayed that prayer today, that they would know you are smiling on them at this moment. May they sense that this is a new beginning for them. And for all of us everywhere who are saying yes to you and your church today by our presence and our participation, may we know your smile today as well and the joy of belonging to you and your movement. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.